So um, this morning, if you're just joining us for the first time, this, this is a very different thing that we're going to do than we typically do. Um, we value expounding on particular texts of the Bible and particular books of the Bible. We just finished, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago, the book of Jonah. And that's, that's what we um, believe is the best thing for the health of the church, is simply expounding texts of Scripture um, in a way that applies to the church. This morning, um, I'm going to do that a little bit. I'm going to j- jump around to different texts, but I have the, the job, um, the responsibility of laying out for you um, the vision that the elders of our church have prayed over and discussed and thought about and rediscussed and thought about and prayed about as it, as it relates to Parkway Community Church. Um, I need to say that um, personally, I don't care for the word vision. I think it's overused and abused by a lot of people, but there's really no alternative word to kind of capture what we see or hope to see for our church. So we're going to use it and um, hopefully um, keep it as centered on Jesus as possible. Um, two, I want to say that, that I, I believe in what I'm about to say wholeheartedly, every, every piece of it. Um, and I believe it is biblical, and I, I hope to show you, if it's not obvious, the biblical justification for it. But there's four parts to it, and um, to help us with our memories, um, someone has created a a graphic, and I realize as soon as I put it up here, you're going to read it. So I'm just going to pause and let you read it, okay? Um, Because otherwise it'll just be a distraction. Um, We've used the word life and life groups and so forth, and it kind of distills down what Jesus came to give us, life. And so we've just kind of organized the four major pieces of the vision around this word life. And I'm going to expound on each one of these this morning, and then in the weeks ahead, I want to go deeper into each one. So this is five weeks, and it's going to be biblical and a prayer of lifting and application. Um, Loving outreach, intentional community, fearless worship, and education and growth, life. Maybe that'll help uh, lock it a little bit into our our minds. But before I expound on um, those four things and give you kind of a biblical justification for them, um, I want to make two preparatory comments, a clarification, and I also just want to center us on the grace of God before we proceed. In terms of clarification, and I realize some of you don't care about what I'm about to say, but some of you do. So for those who do care about the difference between a mission and a vision— Um, pay attention for the next 30 seconds. We have a mission statement in our church, and I love it. Um, It is to love, to live, and to declare with our lips um, the supremacy of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, the unparalleled glory of Jesus in all things to all people. Now, I just elaborated on, on that short statement, but I love to love, live, and declare the supremacy of Jesus with our hearts, our actions, and our lips. That's our mission. A vision has to do more with what does it actually look like. Or to use maybe a construction analogy, if you were to say, hey, I want to build a beautiful house. That, that in a sense, is a mission statement. I want to build a beautiful house. But it, it doesn't convey what that house will look like. The rooms, the levels, uh, two, two floors, three floors, basement, whatever. The difference between mission and vision is the difference between saying, I want to build a beautiful house and having blueprints in your hand. So these four parts are kind of the blueprints of how what we believe uh, is is God's vision for the church, the four necessary, crucial ingredients for a church to be thriving and exalting the supremacy of Jesus Christ. So that's the clarification. Now, to center. You and I both know that we can do everything within our power, make every effort to manufacture and create a vision. But... 
unless the Lord builds the house, it's all in vain. So let me draw your attention to this prayer of Paul's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. I, I love what he says because it crystallizes for us, um, or sets, if you will, our resolve and our work squarely on the power of God. We're going to end with this, too. I'm going to ask us to pray this. Paul says, to this end, we always pray for you. Speaking to our our ancient brothers and sisters in, in the town of Thessalonica, we always pray for you, and here's the content of his prayer. Um, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an amazing little prayer. He prays for two things and then gives us the central purpose behind the prayer. The main purpose, verse 12, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ might be glorified, lifted up, magnified, exalted. That's our mission statement. That's, that's the ultimate goal of our existence as a church that Christ might be glorified, lifted up, um, expounded upon. But he prays two things in particular to that end. This is his, his, his petition to God, God's grace. That is, that God may fulfill. first one is actually may make you worthy of his calling. That's the first thing he prays for. The second one, may fulfill every resolve for good and work of faith. There you have resolve and work. A resolve to do good things and to work those out as we trust in the power of God. That's our part. In a sense, if I may put it this way, uh, a vision of what we believe God wants for our future is a resolve. We resolve as a church family to move in this direction for good. We resolve to work trusting. But notice the subject of each of those verbs may make you worthy and also fulfill the resolve, every resolve for good, is God himself. He's the only one who fulfills it. You can have a vision, but unless God fills it up and makes it happen, it's not going to happen. That's, that's, it's, 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 it's the grace and the power of God that makes it happen. That's really clear in the text. Notice, according to the grace of God, or um, faith by his power, verse 11. So that being said, what is, what is about to kind of unfold here in the next few moments Um, has to rest squarely on the fact that God must do it. Uh, It is by grace alone, and therefore we must pray for it. Prayer is the evidence that we actually believe in God's power. So that said, let me just talk about these four things, these four pieces. And I'm not, you know, life, you know, L-I-F-E. I'm going to start with F because it is the one thing out of which all other things flow. What do we mean by, like, fearless worship? To be a church that worships God in Christ-centered, biblically-informed ways. That's what we mean. To be a church that worships God in Christ-centered, biblically-informed ways. I don't think I have to do a lot of convincing to those of you in here, because in many respects, what we're, about to, what we're talking about here is nothing new. But the, 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 the reason we're doing this is to crystallize this for everybody so we all know we're going in the same direction. But I think most of us know that we were made for worship. 
We were made for God. We were made to see his glory in creation, in the revelation of scripture, and in the revelation of who he is at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. And that our response should be being satisfied, finding our joy, our ultimate meaning and identity in who he is and everything he has done for us in Christ Jesus. Worship is what we were made for. As one writer said years ago, and I think we read it as a, as a church, Let the Nations Be Glad by John Piper, in which he said, um, missions, that is going out and telling people about Christ, is not ultimate, worship is. Um, that missions exist because worship does not. Is our aim is to make worshipers of people. Um, all throughout the scripture, um, we find God's people worshiping. But there is a sense in which worship is both general and particular in the Bible. It's general in the sense that all of life is to be offered as worship to the Lord, right? Um, God's like, whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for men. And he's speaking to slaves in this passage. In other words, whatever you do, sweeping a floor or, or building houses or, 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 or teaching a class in English, do it all as worship to the Lord. So in one sense, worship consists of everything in life. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So worship in one sense is general. But it's also particular. And it has been from the beginning where the people of God would gather at the temple to, to ascribe to the Lord together as a unified voice, um, glory and praise and honor, and, and to rehearse and to remember everything that God has done in creation redemption for us. That, that's the gathering together for the specific purpose of offering worship to the Lord. That's what we're doing this morning. You find the church in Acts constantly gathering together to worship. For, for example, chapter 13, verse 2 of, of the book of Acts says, they were worshiping, the community had gathered together to come and remember Christ and to reflect the glory of God and to worship and ascribe glory to him. And as they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit moved and said, set aside for me Paul and Barnabas for the work of, of ministry. They were, they're gathering for the activity of actually worshiping. Or let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, speaking to the community as they gather, um, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The sense is that, that God's people as they gather, should, their hearts should be bubbling over with the joy of who Christ is and what he's done for them. Singing spontaneously psalms and, and hymns. Singing isn't, isn't the preparation for the sermon. It's part of our, our enjoyment of praising the Lord. That's, 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 that has to be one of the main evidences of a spirit-filled church and what God envisions for his church is, is for us to worship him, to worship him. But not just worship him in that statement. It's in biblically informed ways, Christ-centered and biblically informed. There is no worship apart from Christ. All of our worship is ugly without the justifying work of Jesus cleansing it and allowing our, our praises to become beautiful to God. But worship... I mean, what is worship? If I went around this room right now with a microphone, people would probably say different things. The, 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 the deciding or defining authority as to what consists of true versus false worship is the scripture, which means we have to constantly form and reform our understanding of worship by the Bible itself. Not what culture says feels like worship. Huge difference. So, for example... The Bible tells us that if we are harboring bitterness or, un or an unforgiving spirit against another brother or, or even another person that's not a believer, and yet we come to offer praise to a God who's forgiven us at the expense of the life of his son, well, then I think the Bible would say our worship is a clanging symbol. 
It's vain. So to constantly allow the scripture itself to define, to form, and reform our whole understanding of what is real and true worship. That's all I have time for to say about this, but this is Mark. This is part of it, just to see God's people bubbling over um, in worship to Christ um, in biblically informed ways. Second, to be a church that is educated in the content of the gospel. Now, let me just say that I recognize that the word education itself is probably somewhat generic, impersonal, and maybe even boring. I, maybe what goes through your mind when, when you say the word or think of the word education, you're thinking, oh, endless hours of algebra, statistics, or English composition. I hate education. Kids don't like to go to school, right? Can we just redeem that word a little bit? Because um, we educate ourselves based upon what we love the most. Guys who love technology, they love reading about how to use it. Bluetooth connects to my car stereo now. I don't have to plug anything in. It's so awesome. I read the whole manual. They love technology, therefore they, they educate themselves. When you fell in love with your wife and or your husband, if you really loved them, you found out about them. You educated. You learned. Oh, these, this is the food she likes, and this is the food she doesn't like. This is what she loves to do. Loves to go hiking, but she does not like to go camping. All these things. Educating yourself because you love that person. And want to know everything there is to know about them. We educate ourselves based upon what we love the most. And um, and education in the gospel. That is education with Jesus as the subject and center. Should be anything but impersonal, boring, and generic. Because it's 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 taking into our minds and souls the substance of who God is for us in Christ Jesus. It's the most important of all of life is to understand him and know him. It should be the delight of the heart. I love Christ. I, I want to know everything there is to know about him. I want to know everything there is to know about who I am in him and where I'm headed and where I came from. It's an emphasized over and over again in Scripture. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. That's like idea of God's gospel inhabiting our hearts, not just our minds, but dwelling in us, richly teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom. Paul instructs Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you save both yourself and your hearers. Throughout the book of Acts, the, th the single thing that causes the church to grow is the gospel going forth. It's the message, a message with content. It's not just loving people with actions. It's actually the content of the gospel that sa it not only saves, it grows, and it protects and preserves the church. In the first, second, and third centuries of the church, they thought it was so important to educate their people that they had what was called catechism. And, and their, their, their new believers were catechumens. And they would instruct them on the basics of the gospel so that they knew what they believed. So that in that pagan culture of Rome in which they lived, they, 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 they would stand true and firm. And they would not be blown over by false doctrine or false teaching. What we're saying is that like any vision of the church that doesn't have education in it, like people knowing what they believe and why they believe it and able to articulate it, is a weak and unrooted church. And in our time where everything's shifting around, it's going to blow over at the first stiff pressure of culture. 
So education is, 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 is huge. And we're not getting into methods this morning. We're just talking about the, like, what we picture, what we hope God will fulfill, and uh, what we will work towards. Can you imagine, for a second, I just, can you imagine our high school students graduating and not only are they able to articulate what they believe about the gospel, they understand the, the doctrines of grace, they feel confident in who they are, they know what their gifts are, and they're able to defend their faith rationally, articulately, and persuasively. I'd be like, that would be awesome. And I know you're thinking, wow, it's setting the bar way too high. Oh, so we want to lower it then. I listed it somewhere. I mean... And not just for, for our young people, but adults, making sure people's roots go deep. So that if someone comes in here for, from the Air Force and stays here three or four years, or someone gets transferred here because of a job and they're here three or four years, may they leave here knowing or having their roots deepened in the content of the gospel. Are you in? Yeah, yeah. Hey, by the way, just an aside, sometimes I hear, it's not, not often and it's not, well, I actually got to back up two things. <laughs> One is that the elders believe that there's a weakness here. We're going to be honest with you this morning. There's, there's parts of our education that are good and other parts that are weak or non-existent, and we have our job cut out for us. And if you happen to be a person who's gifted in teaching or, or helping people understand the gospel, I pray God stirs your heart to be involved. That's one thing. There, there, there are strengths but also weaknesses especially as it relates to adults the other thing i would say is that there are strengths right um one of the things people say is like well parkway is known as a place of teaching and sometimes i hear that almost as a complaint like well you emphasize teaching so much it's like well, okay now maybe there are other things that we've neglected and other things that we're weak in but let's not de-emphasize a strength because of a weakness Let's, let's embrace it for, hey, this is an important part. I mean, the, the gospel is content. It's good news, which means it comes in the form of knowledge that we have to understand. So that's two. Be a church that's educated. Worshiping, educated. Education by itself, though, and this is where another weakness comes in our church. Without love and community is a clanging symbol. It's just knowledge but intentional community. That's to be a church that actively engages in deepening relationships through mutual service in love and gifts. Again, this is something that most everybody in here, if you've been attending, you know this. This is nothing new. It's just want to crystallize the importance of community. The church itself, the word, is communal. It means the assembly. Church is not one person. It is a group. The metaphors of the New Testament for the church, the group, are singular, yet they, 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 they have to do with the plural. Um, the bride of Christ, one, yet she's made up of many, or the body of Christ. It's, it's a one body, but made up of many parts, or, or the temple of God. One temple, but made up of many parts. And it does not grow, we do not grow into the image of Christ, and therefore we do not glorify Christ unless we are integrally connected and serving and loving and ministering to each other. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, rather speaking the truth, there's the truth piece, that's the educational piece, 
In love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, every single person who has the Spirit and is a follower of Jesus is working properly, makes the body, that's now the singular, grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's God's vision for the church. That was what Christ prayed for in John 17. May they be one as you and I, Father, are one. May our community reflect the community within the God of himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that's easy to talk about, but very difficult. That's probably, if you will, one of the hardest parts of the vision is actually learning to love people. And not only do we live in a digitized world where relationships are now taking place between computer screen and computer screen or phone and iPad, but, but we live in, in incredibly busy lives, which is also another major obstacle. And then there's the fact that we're all sinners. It makes it hard. The patience required, how to deal with difficult emotions of frustration, irritation, and feelings of offense. Um, learning what it means to serve another person selflessly. These are hard things to really love people. That's why marriages have such a hard time, because you get married and everything seems all great when you're at the altar saying, I do, but then afterwards you've got to deal with each other's sinfulness and you realize it's hard. It's no different in church. And we know this. But the Spirit has granted us, not only in the power of the gospel, but his, his indwelling, that, that we can love this way. But it doesn't come easy, and it doesn't come fast to learn how to be a body that actually serves one another. But, 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 but it's, it's well worth it. I mean, on the other side, there's riches, and there's growth, and there's change, and there's transformation. Uh, God humbles us. He, he teaches us patience. He teaches us long-suffering. He teaches us how to have good attitudes even when people around us don't. Is it hard? Absolutely. But is it necessary? Is it God's vision for us? Absolutely. One body, one temple, one bride. And it takes every single person committed to that very thing to stick it out and continue to learn what it means to love. I remember a preacher years ago used the analogy of two types of Christians, and I thought it was appropriate for the enduring... Um, quality of love. He made a, drew, a, drew a distinction between what he called adrenal Christians versus cardio. Cardio is in the heart, Christians. Adrenaline, you know what adrenaline is like. You, know, you get a shot, burst of energy, and next thing you know, you're on the couch taking a nap. He's like saying, there's adrenal Christians, you know, they show up and boom, lots of activity, and then boom, they're taking a nap, and you never hear from them again. And that's not really what the church needs. Although you get a lot of work done from an adrenal Christian, right? Really fast. <laughs> Never see him again. But then there's the, the cardio Christians. There's no big flash. There's no big rush of energy. It's just like a heart. From the moment it starts beating in the womb, it just continues to pump and pump and pump and pump and beat and beat. Boom, 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 boom. And that is the kind of Christian love that's needed. It's like, I'm going to stay here. I know this is going to be hard, but I'm just going to keep pumping my heart's going to keep pumping, and I'm just going to continue to love as best as I can. Get to know people, and it's a risky business. Um, feels vulnerable to open yourself up to other people, but that's, that's part of our job as Christians. And it takes every single person, and this is, this is a weakness within our church. 
Uh, community is, is a little bit easier if you're in a church of 80 to 100. It's much more difficult when you have two services and you're a mid-sized church and you have limited space issues. It's just hard. It takes more organization, takes more planning strategy, and a whole lot more, well, maybe not a lot more, but it takes prayer. Um, this is one of the reasons, by the way, that, that we moved um, one of our staff positions into the community life because it's that important. Um, not that one person is going to be able to change it. It takes everyone following and saying, yes, I believe in this. I'm going to commit myself to this kind of relationship. And if you happen to have the gift of hospitality or hosting or connecting people together, we need you. And then I think I'm on number four, final one here. If I haven't forgotten anything. Loving outreach or to be a church that advances the gospel in the community and in the world in holistic gospel-centered ways. Again, I am preaching to the choir when I justify this with scripture that we're to let our light shine in the darkness. Light that comes from Christ himself so that they may see our good works. It's not just our words they need to hear, it's our works of light that they need to see so that they may give glory to the one who is the source of light, namely our Father who is in heaven, who sent us the light in the person of his Son. Or that we are to make disciples of all nations, bringing them into submission, glad submission, to the Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Um, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the mission, right? And if there's one thing that we've seen advances towards in our church is, 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 is building bridges in our community. And that, now that's an exciting thing. You know, um, of building those bridges of relationship, of serving, being the hands and feet of Jesus, as, as Justin likes to say, um, out in the community so that we can have perhaps opportunity to testify to the fact that we're doing this in the name of and by the power of Jesus, and we do it in his name to glorify him, period. And I, I think those things are moving forward. We want to continue to move that direction. Uh, we don't want to stop or de-emphasize, but, but to continue to, to be a church that has a, an impact in, in our community. That's, can you imagine just stepping back for a second and, and imagining a church that is passionate about worshiping God in Christ, bubbling over with the joy of God's salvation. A church that is committed to being deeply rooted in the gospel. A church that is committed to the hard work of loving each other and serving each other, using their gifts. And a church that is passionate about seeing the light penetrate the darkness. That's a, in my opinion, that would be a force to be reckoned with. Not because of the people, but because a church that exudes that kind of, uh, or fulfills that kind of vision is a church in which the Spirit of God is moving powerfully. What does it take? On the one hand, it takes every single person in the body to say yes. This is what I believe, and to act decisively in these areas. Different people are gifted and passionate about different areas of these four things. Are you ready to engage, I guess is the question. So one of the, I know you all saw the story, but it's such a great story. Just last week, right, those three guys who jumped the dude in the train? That was awesome. I was looking for a Marine in there, but there wasn't any Marines in there. <laughs> right? If you haven't heard the story, you got to read it. I read the New York Times edition of it, and uh, 
you know, there's this, this terrorist stands up on, on, a, on a train from Amsterdam to, to France with his AK-47 and his Luger and his, his knife, thinking he's going to do some mayhem. And uh, three Americans, you know, an Air Force guy. You guys got to be proud. Your Air Force guy's got to be proud, right? <laughs> Air Force guy jumps up, and an Army soldier jumps up, and some other guy, I don't think he's in the service, and they say, we're going to take this boy down. And they did, and they pummeled him. And I'm just like, I'm reading this going, yeah, you know? (laughs) So that part's great, right? Where were the rest of the passengers? Just like, oh, I hope somebody takes care of this. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm going to get shot. Or the other piece, and again, this is the New York Times edition, is, is uh, is, is the crew. Like the crew of the train should be the first ones to say, hey, we've got to protect our passengers and deal with this. At least... Maybe get them running in the right direction. But no, they were the first to run. And the, 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 the passengers were saying, it's horrific. It's, it's inhumane what they did. They just abandoned us, left us in harm's way. No, it was three guys who said, you know, there's a, this is an issue. And we're going to do something about it. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work if everybody waits for somebody else to get up. Right? It just doesn't work. It, 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 it works when you realize... Jesus has called my name. Jesus has gifted me. Jesus has given me the power of the Holy Spirit. The enemy is everywhere, and I am going to act decisively. And we're praying that you will do that. All of us. Every one of us. Elders, deacons, pastors, staff, congregants act decisively. And then even more important than that, to recognize that only by the power of grace and by submitting ourselves humbly in faith to the power of God in prayer will we actually see the Spirit stir us as one family to mobilize for the sake of the glory of Christ. So back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to ask if you will, we will, as Paul set the example for us. I mean, he prays for it because he knows God and God alone can do it. And so I want to ask if you, even if you're a visitor here, you can still pray for us, right? Because if you're a Christian, you probably have a heart for this church to impact a community, whether you stay here or not. But pray that God might fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Right? It seems fitting that we ought to practice this right now. So, I'm going to ask if you will do the uncomfortable thing, and if you are with somebody you know that you're comfortable praying with, I'm going to ask you to pray for, you can pray for these, these four things, that God would make us worshipers, that we would be deeply committed to education, to community, and also to outreach in, in ways that we haven't seen yet, at least not fully. Um, and if you're not comfortable praying, that's okay. We've tried our best not to make people feel unnecessarily comfortable, but it seems to me that if we can't pray together, then there's a problem. So, just simply ask if you're comfortable doing that, uh, or maybe you want to stretch yourself with your wife or husband, you don't normally pray, just, will you spend a few moments just laying this out before the Lord, and asking the Lord, by his grace and power, to fulfill what we believe is God's vision for his church. Take a few moments to do that right now.